Dirty tree, standing alone in a vast field, suggesting strength, growth, and independence, and regarded both as a landmark and a shelter, was standing alike the heats of the summer and wrestling with and throwing off the blasts of winter, drawing from nature her myriad stories of nutrition, and giving back to nature a wealth of power and grace in return, seemed Henry Ward Beecher in his youth of old age to the observation of men. Original orator, advocate, poet, humorist, agitator, preacher, moralist, and statesman. The greatest preacher of modern times, possibly of all times. The man was one of the wonders of America, one of the marvels of the world. Henry Ward Beecher's career has been phenomenal for the activity and variety of its achievements. Coming from a long line of mentally alert and physically vigorous ancestors, he was richly endowed with the qualities going to make up the highest type of human nature. He was handicapped only in being the son of a man whose fame was worldwide. A preacher of such intensity of spirit and eloquence of expression that he stood at the head of, if not above, all of his contemporaries. Yet, while Dr. Lyman Beecher will always hold an honored place in American history and biography, who can deny that his fame has been far outshone by that of his brilliant son? It may be truly said, therefore, that Henry Ward Beecher won a double triumph. He emerged from the contemplative obscurity in which he dwelt, behind the shadow of his father's greatness, and he lived to see his own name emblazoned more brightly and engraved more indelibly upon the records of time than that of his noble father. He was born in Litchfield, Connecticut, June 24, 1813. His father was a busy minister, and his mother divided her time among several children, so that no especial attention was paid to Henry Ward, nor was he considered more promising than some of the others. He was not by any means fond of books in early life. He gives the following sketch of himself in one of his personal writings. A hazy image of myself comes back to me, a lazy, dreamy boy with his head on a desk, half lulled asleep by the buzzing of the great blue-bottle fly, and the lowing of the cows, and the tinkling of their bells, brought into the open door across the field in the meadows. Through the advice of his father he attended the Mount Pleasant Academy. Afterward he attended Amherst College, where he graduated in 1834. During his last two years of school, Beecher followed the example of many another young man, who has since attained eminence in his chosen profession, and taught in district schools. With the money thus obtained, he laid the foundation upon which he built the splendid superstructure, which is recalled at the sound of his name. Dr. Lyman Beecher, meanwhile, had accepted a professorship at Lane Seminary, Cincinnati, and having decided to follow the ministry, the son went west the same year and began the study of theology under his father. He finished his course three years later, married, and accepted the first charge offered him, a small Presbyterian church in Lawrenceburg, a little town on the Ohio River near Cincinnati. Of this dismal beginning of his illustrious career, he said, how poor we were. There were only about twenty persons in the flock. I was janitor as well as pastor of the little whitewashed church. I bought some lamps and I filled them and lighted them. I swept the church and dusted the benches and kindled the fire, and I didn't ring the bell because there wasn't any. Did everything, in fact, but come to hear myself preach. That they had to do. It doesn't occur to me now that Lawrenceburg was remarkable for anything but a superabundance of distilleries. I used to marvel how so many large distilleries could be put in so small a town, but they were flourishing right in the face of the gospel that my little flock and I were preaching in the shadows of the chimneys. My thoughts often traveled back to my quaint little church and the big distilleries at Lawrenceburg. Well, my next move was to Indianapolis. There I had more considerable congregation— though I was still far from rich in the world's goods. I believe I was very happy during my eight years out there. I liked the people. There was a hearty frankness, a simplicity in their mode of life, an unselfish intimacy in their social relations that attracted me.
They were new people, unharrowed and uncultured like the land they lived on.